The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language. Thursday the 20th of December 2018, Nicholas Fryer joins me to look back at the year in politics... In January 2018, the Prime Minister of Australia was a bloke by the name of Malcolm Turnbull. We discussed some disturbing animal action. Like we don't all know that this is just what happens after those Friday evening parties. And there's some serious personal complaints. I get sedated and, 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 and mechanically sodomised by a bloke and I don't even get a photograph out of it. This is the 9pm arch window of the prostate exam. Pull you close, run my strong hands down your back, softly kiss your neck and whisper. G'day, mate. Now, if you're uh, living under a rock or perhaps not even in Australia, you may have missed uh, the news that uh, a politician called Andrew Broad... uh, Hang on, I'll I'll let uh, the project tell the story from uh, last Monday night. Assistant Minister to the Deputy Prime Minister, Andrew Broad, has resigned today after allegations he used a so-called sugar daddy website to arrange a meeting with a younger woman on a trip to Hong Kong. The name's Broad, Andrew Broad. The Nationals' MP is married and a devout Christian who campaigned against marriage equality. Do not think you achieve freedom by giving rights to others and taking away rights of someone else. And he was the first to call for Barnaby Joyce's resignation when the Barna baby scandal broke earlier this year. At this time, he needs to uh, step down as leader of the National Party and take a step back into the backbench for a time. But today, Broad stepped down after some seriously lurid allegations were splashed all over today's issue of hard-hitting political journal, New Idea. I have accepted his resignation. It's the right thing to do. A Hong Kong-based Aussie expat who goes by the alias Sweet Sophia Rose claims she met Broad on a sugar daddy website that connects wealthy older men to attractive younger women. After arranging dinner, she claims he sent her a series of lurid text messages. I know how to ride a horse, fly a plane, my woman. I love Aussie accents. I think they're so sexy. I pull you close, run my strong hands down your back, softly kiss your neck and whisper, G'day, mate. Sweet Sophia Rose then claimed she broke off contact with Broad after an underwhelming dinner where he referred to himself as James Bond, complained about prices and allegedly placed her hand on his leg repeatedly. The Deputy PM admitted he's been sitting on the Broad-shaped bombshell for weeks. When did he tell you? A couple of weeks ago. While in a statement, Broad's office suggested that Sweet Sophia Rose may have engaged in criminal activity. I told him to contact the Australian Federal Police, which he did. Yep, just when you thought you'd seen the last bizarre poly implosion of 2018, here we are. And there are still two weeks to go. (laughs) Or one week to go as uh, we record this podcast. But yes, uh, some little supplementary details there. Someone called Michael McCormick is apparently the leader of the uh, National Party and uh, Deputy Prime Minister. Although, as I notice, uh, again, as we record this on the 20th of December, he is acting Prime Minister because uh, the uh, temporary Prime Minister for the time being, Scott Morrison, has been over visiting our troops overseas, uh, having earlier in the week uh, uh, misstated some facts about the Boer War. I find it interesting uh, that the Andrew Broad scandal, uh, uh, G'day Mate Gate, has uh, 
kind of not triggered as much soul-searching within the coalition government as you might imagine. On uh, Tuesday, Josh Frydenberg, who is allegedly the Treasurer of uh, of Australia uh, and, and obviously therefore a very senior member of the government, well, he, he didn't seem to think it would have uh, much effect at all. Here's what he said on uh, ABC's AM uh, with his self-serving uh, talking points edited out. The government's announcement that it would deliver a surplus and bring forward the budget was overshadowed by the resignation of Julia Banks and the mid-year budget update numbers were blotted out yesterday by the broad scandal. How cranky are you about that? Well, I'm just focused on delivering a stronger economy for all Australians. That's my role as Treasurer. And yesterday's result showed that the books are the best shape they've been in over a decade. Turned all it right. around and Sorry, next and I'm going to stop you there. That's a nice deflection away from that question. How cranky are you about it? Well, look, obviously, I'd like to be focused and the media to be focused on the economic message and the economic numbers that we released yesterday. But Andrew's conduct was unacceptable. Uh, He's resigned. That was the right thing to do. Uh, But the Australian people are focused on and their government are focused on delivering them a stronger economy. The matter of Andrew Broad was referred to police on November the 8th, so the Nats knew about this for nearly a month and a half and the Liberals apparently were only told yesterday when Mr Broad resigned. How can you counter Labor when your biggest problem appears to be within? Oh, look, both sides of politics have had issues with their own personnel. We've seen that come to the fore even in recent weeks with the Labor Party. But the reality is... Um, the job of the government, the job of the Prime Minister, uh, his Treasurer, the Deputy Prime Minister and all of us uh, is to deliver better outcomes for all Australians. And on that count, uh, we have succeeded over the last five years and yesterday's numbers. All right. But this scandal has taken some wind from your sails and it feeds the perception that the Coalition has a women problem or, as some put it, a man problem? Look, to be honest, I think the Australian people uh, overlook those issues uh, and really uh, are focused on the outcomes that the government can deliver them uh, in terms of the essential services that they uh, need and, and, and require in terms of lower taxes, which we've uh, done already with legislated tax cuts. Uh, and the next election will be a very sharp contrast between the Labor Party. Sorry, and I'm just getting back to your point. You think voters are going to overlook things like Barnaby Joyce, this matter, uh, women quitting the front bench over bullying. Julie Bishop also saying that the coalition has a women problem. Look, you will focus on, Sabra, you will focus on these issues in every interview you do with the Treasurer. But the Treasurer is focused on delivering a strong, uh, healthy economy. Well, that's the uh, uh, Treasurer the there. We don't really need to hear the rest of his uh, tedious little talking pointery. I find it interesting that, as I say, the coalition is just sweeping the moral issues under the carpet, so much so that the Minister for Women, as well as Minister for Industrial Relations, Kelly O'Dwyer, didn't even seem to understand the concept. Do you think that the government needs to have moral authority to run the country? I I don't fully understand your question. Well, I just wonder what has been lost through this whole moment. I mean, there's a discussion about how relevant his private life is, but I wonder whether the government is losing its moral authority given the position, the strong position that people like Andrew Broad have taken on social issues. Well, yes, 
That's a very fair question. Uh, and so how did Kelly O'Dwyer uh, respond to that? This was from ABC Radio National Breakfast the other morning. But I wonder whether the government is losing its moral authority given the position, the strong position that people like Andrew Broad have taken on social issues. Well, look, um, I think there's no doubt um, that Andrew Broad has uh, not behaved in a way that has met the standards that he himself um, would set for others. And I'm not going to defend bad behaviour, but I'm also not going to get into a commentary uh, that would cause further pain to his family. I think that um, he's made a statement uh, that he's going to be leaving the parliament. I think that we should probably leave it at that. But I I do think that all governments, um, you know, no matter what their political stripes, uh, need to be able to set a very high standard. I think that's right. I think the men and women that go into public life need to set a high standard and need to be held to a high standard. And um, I think, you know, it's fair and right for the Australian people to expect and demand that. It is indeed fair and right. Kelly O'Dwyer. Meanwhile, in Victoria, you may remember about a month ago, they had a state election. And uh, at that time... Uh, a guy called Dan, whose Twitter handle is uh, Union Thug Dan, put up a uh, a poll on Twitter: which micro party MP will quit their party in Victoria Upper House first? And the poll showed, out of the Liberal Democrats, the Transport Matters Party, and Sustainable Australia, which is basically an anti-immigration bunch of racists, the Hinch Justice Party got 40% of the vote, and indeed it turned out to be the case. Senator Darren Hinch, uh, who, as Australians will know, was a former talkback radio shock jock, uh, now leads his Justice Party. They won three upper house seats in the Victorian Parliament at last month's state election. They got a primary vote of 3.7%, but that's what proportional representation is about. But the very day before the three upper house uh, new members were due to be sworn in, Catherine Cumming announced she'll quit the party and sit as an independent. Meanwhile, uh, Senator Hinch said that Ms Cumming had been disendorsed. They can't hold it together, these people, can they? And speaking of not holding it together, have you heard of Brexit? That's uh, a fascinating little beast too. Uh, I saw on the Twitters someone, and I don't know who said this, but this was their commentary on Brexit and how it really isn't going so badly. You'll have been to Germany, Holland, Croatia, all far more devastated than we will be, that is the UK, and what do you know, they're all doing fine and are beautiful places. Even Hiroshima is a beautiful city now. I've always loved the way Russians pronounce the the word catastrophe, which is catastrophe. In Russian, but there's another Russian word uh, that I discovered recently, which is ministropad, which means a cascade of ministerial resignations. I think we can look forward to that in Britain, in Australia, and perhaps other places around the world. Happy 2019 when it rolls in. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to the edict. Joining me once again for this episode of the podcast is Nicholas Fryer on the lines, or at least on the internet, from Adelaide. Hello, Nicholas. Hello, Stilgarian. How are you? 
I, look, I'm fabulous. I'm exhausted as we approach the end of the year, but I think everyone's feeling a little that way. Yes, very definitely in holiday mode here, which is rather disappointing since I have a work function tonight and, and more work tomorrow before I can finally take my shoes off. Uh, yes, I'm working right up to uh, Christmas Eve, um, but that's the nature of being a freelancer. Hey, look, John O'Broad on Twitter um, suggested that for this podcast, he said he'd be pretty down with us two just screaming cunt at each other for half an hour. Uh, well, I think that should be premium content. Still, we should be charging for that kind of quality. Good point. Uh, so what's your first topic then if it's not screaming cunt at each other? Well, the whole country has been screaming cunts at each other now for, for long enough. Um, perhaps we should move on. Um, well, it's Christmas, isn't it? It's the end of the year, and it's time to think. It's time to think about the past. It's always, you know, it's always good to look back. Um, and, of course, my past is getting longer and longer all the time. One of the things about getting old is it becomes easier and easier to forget that others haven't been around as long as you have. So you make mistakes like referring casually to things that don't exist anymore, like a Walkman or a responsible political class. Walk person, a walk Nicholas. Per- I'm sorry, yeah. Um, and uh, youngsters stare at you like you're a bizarre and slightly embarrassing relic from an impossibly distant age, not because they don't know perfectly well what a walk person is, but because you are, in fact, an embarrassing relic from a distant age. Uh, L.P. Hartley, I had to look it up, but it's L.P. Hartley, apparently, who said that the past is a different country and because they do things differently there. Um, we've all got shortening attention spans these days, but I think it's worth casting our mind back to the very different country that was January 2018 when uh, when things were so very different. In January 2018, the Prime Minister of Australia was a bloke by the name of Malcolm Turnbull, who was a groundbreaker, as in everything he did. Uh, Malcolm was the first of that now fairly familiar type, the wholly ceremonial head of government, entrusted with the highest office in the land. He bestrode the landscape, doing all that he could, as long as he didn't upset the paleo asshole goons standing right over his shoulder, whispering, remember, thou art not just mortal, but fucking doomed, mate, if you say anything that puckers sphincters in Longreach. A weak Prime Minister facing electoral wipeout and hostage to a bunch of reactionary shitkickers. How times have changed. <laughs> In January 2018, the Deputy Prime Minister, I, I too was surprised. It was, it was good to hear that I'm not the only person who had to look up who McCormack was. But the Deputy Prime Minister back in 2018 was a refugee from a New, Ze- New England compost heap called Barnaby Joyce, who lost his job when it was discovered that he was corruptly employing his pregnant girlfriend at your expense. Imagine that, a a National Party politician resigning over sexual misconduct uh, on the taxpayer's dollar, which is unimaginable in this day and age. It it never happens, broadly speaking. Um, But there have been changes. Uh, In January 2018, South Australia was just about to enter its 407th year straight of of Labor government, I should say, um, if I've counted that correctly. Nothing, though, lasts forever, and in a surprise... Even to itself, South Australia decided finally to give the Liberal Party a crack at the craft table, trusting them with the blunt scissors. The good news is that the disruption has been fairly minor, I can report. If you stop, I reckon if you stop the average South Australian on the street, wake them up gently. Most of them would have a hard time telling you what's changed or what year it is, because in utopia, time has no meaning. Um, and, And there's Victoria... 
uh, again, January 2018, the Premier of Victoria was a bloke called Daniel Andrews. Now, I only read the Murdoch Press, so I gather that he was some kind of communist with an abnormal number of heads who probably advocated compulsory homosexuality in kindergarten. And he had to face an election during the year, and, you know, I don't keep tabs on everything Victorians do. I mean, it's not polite to stare, is it? Uh, presumably he was garroted at some point and replaced by a penis made entirely of coal. If anyone's listening in Victoria, in fact, if anyone's still alive in Victoria after four years of Stalinism, drop us an email, let us know. In New South Wales, but then who cares about New South Wales? As as our New South Wales correspondents (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that anyone really cares about New South Wales. We're we're resigned to the fact uh, that... We do corruption probably better than anyone else in the country. Uh, as uh, as you may know, earlier this week, the uh, New South Wales Independent Commission Against Corruption, ICAC, actually raided the offices of the New South Wales Labor Party. Uh, I haven't bothered finding out what that was about because in New South Wales, we just sort of shrug and go, yeah, that'd be right. Uh, I mean, this is a state where, for a period, uh, the uh, Commissioner of Police and the Premier were receiving large brown envelopes full of cash, and the Premier just dismissed all all his apparent wealth by saying he was just uh, very lucky at the races. Which is uh, which <laughs> it bodes uh, <laughs> well for the for the federal uh, anti corruption commission, which we've now been promised by by Father Christmas. The Prime Minister, who is currently bouncing around promising us everything, uh, including tax cuts and a whole new space agency here in South Australia. Uh, the thing about this new Commonwealth Integrity Commission, though, is that it, you, like you and me can't refer something to them and say, hey, we think there's a problem. It can only have government agencies themselves uh refer themselves to the Commonwealth Integrity Commission. <laughs> its hearings are in secret, so we'll, we'll never find out anything. Uh, and uh, investigative journalists uh, like the, the formidable, formidable, which way do you say that? Doesn't matter. Kate McClymont, who is one of the finest uh, investigative journalists in the country, was at first hurrah, and then moments later when she actually read how this thing is going to be structured, uh, well, she got a bit shouty, shall we say. It's it's kind of a, a sop and it's another wedge against Labor because Labor wanted the, the, the federal uh, anti-corruption body, but now they've been presented with a model that's so terrible they – they have the choice of either agreeing with the government that this is the way it's going to work or be seen as doing a backflip and voting against it. So, of course, Labor will vote for it because they're not very good at handling being wedged, uh, as they did over Australia's anti-encryption legislation only last week. But does anyone seriously believe that we're going to have enough parliamentary time to get any of this through between now and that the government will have the balls to stand up and actually turn up in Parliament between now and the election they'll be forced to call? Well, if the election is in March, and that's what my money is on, an election being called after Australia Day for some time in March, uh, that will piss off uh, who's having their election around there? New, New South, South Wales. Wales. I've heard, yes, I've heard of that place. Uh, New South Wales has a uh, four year fixed term. So, yes, the election will be on a certain Saturday in March. Um, 
I don't think that the uh, the New South Wales Liberal government, struggling as it is, wants any federal issues to be on their radar. In fact, uh, uh, Gladys unpronounceable, and I'm terribly sorry. I really should have practiced saying Berchikilian name. It's, it's really bad of me. I should know how to pronounce our Premier's name. But uh, she has also uh, called out the federal government on its uh prehistoric attitude to climate change and and coal and such like so she really wants to shove the federal government on into the into the river the distancing has become quite energetic hasn't it it's it's attractive it's it's hilarious um and look i can understand her concerns because she's also struggling with the fact that we haven't been able to build a tram in sydney or tram line i should say and and george street the main uh well allegedly main thoroughfare of our our ancient city um has been a building site for i think since about 1954 uh and and the steam-powered trams are not likely to enter service until 2056 or something like that if i if i remember the latest projection have they not paid off the right people well, they have, but they, I think they want more because now there's there's some. I, look, the numbers don't matter. Is it is it three million? Is it thirty million? Is it three billion? Is it fifty trillion dollars? No one seems to know, and you know that the New South Wales government is getting desperate because they've announced high speed rail again <laughs> uh, and, and issued a map. It, it's a fascinating a map, map showing how to get out of New South Wales as quickly as possible. Well, it doesn't. That's the thing. It's a regional high-speed rail network within New South Wales, and they've just kind of drawn a straight line from Sydney to Bathurst to Orange as if the Blue Mountains doesn't exist. I mean, the Blue Mountains are at their highest point, higher than the highest point in England, <laughs> and and they're made of of rock. You may have heard of this stuff. Uh, and And... The reason the train is slow over the Blue Mountains now is that the line was built with the best of Victorian era technology, which means it it has really tight curves because digging tunnels and things were, were you know, hard work back then. And that limits the speed. So drawing a straight line is wonderful because you think, well, that actually requires a tunnel about 70 kilometres long if you really want to run high-speed rail through that. And for a population out in the regions of 37 people and a dog and plummeting because of the the economy, stupid, uh, it's it's fanciful. But, you know, she's brought it out again. Um, Has anyone phoned Elon Musk about this? Because the last time we had had a bit of problem in South Australia, there was a a bit of a political uh, sniff going on about uh, the the, – lack of battery storage power and, and the Labor government was uh, thinking aloud about the possibility of building a, a large uh, electric uh, power storage facility. And Elon Musk got on the phone and literally about eight weeks later we had this this facility built. Now, Elon's pretty good yeah, with tunnels. Yeah, but Elon Musk is a cunt. Yeah, but he's pretty good with tunnels. Yeah, he's got a whole- and spaceships. <laughs> spaceships. But that, but that's the answer. There should be a spaceship to Orange. Well, you oh, see, but South Australia's got the space agency, and I'm actually really excited about that. I thought that South Australia would get it because a, it's obvious. B, pork, pork, pork. 
Um, but but it, it fits well with the kind of high-tech uh, industries already in South Australia and with the defence industries there because the primary customer of companies that will be developed by the space agency will be defence. Mm. I, w- I want to refer, though, looking back at the year 2018, which is sort of what we're doing today, my wonderful friends at BuzzFeed put out a, uh, a list uh, which was headlined uh, 77 times Australian politics proved it was absolutely cooked. Uh, but I do like the way they tweeted it, which was uh, 77 times Australian politics was too fucking insane to be real in 2018. I bet they had to work and, to get it down to 77. Uh, it, indeed. It's looking back at it. It it look and you know the linkers on the podcast website and all those things. I do encourage people to read it because my reaction was, my God, this is only this year. All these things happened. Um, I mean, Malcolm Turnbull forgot the words to John Farnham's "You're the Voice." So no, I, I, that's clearly why he was was sacked as prime minister. Is that not a criminal offence? Um, well. Yeah, although, you know, can I admit, I I don't know the words either. And, 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 and I, we are of the age where we should still get in. I don't know yes. them either myself, but, you know, I, I can presumably hire uh, someone to know that sort of thing. I've got a son. Uh, he can Google it. Yeah, well, he can. Do, you say Google all the time. Google, Google. I'm from South Australia. We say, th- well, we say things differently here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, that's in my past, so it's definitely another country. We're the only part of Australia, of Australia that has an accent. Ooh. Have you ever been to Queensland? Uh, only the once, and all I can remember is walking around all day carrying my jacket and slowly dissolving into a puddle on the pavement, and I was very glad to get out of there. Ah, uh, that'd be about right. Um, I won't list any of the other wonderful things in the BuzzFeed list. Uh, I don't know whether you picked out any. No, I haven't had a chance to look. I, I, uh, oh. Looking up, you know, reasons why Australian politics is heading rapidly for third world status is is not a cheerful making process. <laughs> and yet here we are. Um, I, I wanted to also mention in this context, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is satire, but someone. Uh, posted uh, a what was supposedly the Liberal Party's working paper for suggested media strategies in the, the 2019 election. And Poe's law applies here. It is, it is indistinguishable uh, from reality, assuming this is uh, satire. Uh, and it, it includes such strategies as, in the first instance, all questions and interviews should be answered with the assistance of our preferred media providers, such as all journalists who work for News Corp produce newspapers, all announcers and radio journalists who work for Radio 2GB and its affiliate stations on the Macquarie Network, and all journalists and presenters of Sky TV, which is pretty much as it happens, Um, and uh, all other news providers and those who are identified as working with social media organisations should be ignored. Um did it? Did the ABC retire the Radio Australia uh, banner headline uh, name? Radio Australia was deemed bad because apparently no one listens to the radio anymore, except for the approximately billion people in in East and Southeast Asia who relied upon it for a neutral source of of information outside their own countries. Uh, and then uh, Australia Television, which was the the 
the televisual equivalent of that, um, was was farmed off to the private sector. And what people often forget is while the ABC's charter talks about um, – uh, you know, fair and balanced news coverage and so on. The the brief for Radio Australia and Australia Television was also, and I forget the exact words, but it was something along the lines of instill an understanding of Australian viewpoints on international affairs, i.e. soft propaganda like America's Voice of America or the BBC World Service. An appalling concept, obviously, that others should understand us. Um, but it seems to me that with the emergence of a state media here, uh, in the guise of Rupert Murdoch's Sky Te- the Daily Telegraph, Sky Television and 2GB, they were clearly identified now as, you know, the, the media arm of the conservative powers, the conservative parties in federal politics. We could, if that name is available for resurrection, then, you know, we need it. We can have an, uh, an RT of our very own. Ladies and gentlemen, it has reached that point in the podcast where we need to have a look at the trigger words. People who've paid good money to be part of the podcast have nominated one trigger word or with even more money, three trigger words, and we're now going to draw them out. Now, this time we have one person who's asked for all three of their trigger words to be done in a batch. So we'll start with that one. It is Matthew Moylecroft with Newton Crashes Hard. That's Newton Crashes Hard. Now, I should explain that the uh, relatively poorer audio quality there is because that is the audio track of a video, which you can see on the podcast website, showing us, uh, or me at least, drawing the words from the uh, glass jar of integrity. Uh, this time, uh, just to demonstrate that it's all properly, uh, randomly chosen. Uh, but Newton crashes hard. This is obviously a uh, a reference, Nicholas, to the uh, podcast uh, that is still to come, uh, recorded on my flying with Mark Newton in uh, his uh, RV6 uh, sporting aircraft of Victor Hotel Sirioska Lima. Um and the thing is, Mark Newton doesn't crash hard, or what does crash hard is is encountering the potholes in the sky. Uh, and uh, I have a couple of uh, aviation stories here, so perhaps you're going to have a think about the lumpy bits in the sky. Uh, the two that come to mind is, yes, uh, while flying uh, from, uh, from uh, New South Wales into South Australia in this light aircraft, we did encounter a lovely pothole in the sky where the aircraft just decided to suddenly drop a large number of metres uh, so that it hit us on the head with the canopy. Are you allowed to use metres in the sky? I thought it was all imperial. Uh, it's imperial for vertical, sorry, it should be in feet, uh, but horizontally it's it's in kilometres. Perfect sense. For reasons. Uh, but, yes, when the aircraft does plummet and hit you on the head, it hurts, it's it's funny a bit, or at least uh, I noticed that Mark was laughing when it happened, so I figured, excellent, we are not going to die. Um, but even when you, you're wearing a four-point harness in a small aircraft, the clearance between your head and the canopy is only like a couple of centimetres, and bang, 
it goes down. Uh, but I'm reliably informed that some sort of uh, procedure happens should the wings fall off. Um, the other incident I should uh, regale you with is many years ago, back when Boeing 727s were um, were operated by an airline called Ansett, which tells you how long ago it was. Uh, and we were flying into Hobart, which uh, has a kind of uh, windy attitude sometimes. And as we were coming into the land, I, I was at the time, uh, or just before that, uh, worked in uh, the aviation uh regulation and and management thing while it was still the government. That was my first full-time job, actually, as a public servant. And I understood how aviation worked, which is kind of still why I'm a bit of a geek in this. And as we were coming into land, I noticed that we seemed to be descending relatively fast, and then there was suddenly a bang, at which point the aircraft did touch the touch, hit the ground, completely bottomed out at shock absorbers, and uh, the cabin crew member behind me just muttered, yeah, that'd be the ground then. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot get more Australian than that. How's your uh, flying? My flying has been been, uh, much calmer than that of late, but that's because I only ever get on aeroplanes that carry at least... Uh, 200 people and weigh 50,000 kilograms. Um, I must say, when I hear the, the uh, phrase Newton crashes hard, it, it brought two things to mind. One, because I'm old enough again, t- it was to recall the Australian golfer Jack Newton, who in 1983 uh, managed to walk into an aeroplane, or rather the rapidly moving propeller of one, uh, losing an arm. And uh, but it didn't in the end, it, it didn't end his golfing career. I don't think he ever quite reached the heights thereafter that he did while he still had two arms. But I recall he did carry on despite losing an arm and an eye and half his face and all sorts of things. A terrible accident. Isn't there a uh, a drummer for a, a metal band that only has one arm, lost his arm in an accident, and and then returned to the band some twenty months later? And I want to say. Def Leopard. Uh, you catch me out. My my knowledge of of metal bands is not encyclopedic. I, I only know this because I I saw this fact mentioned on a TV quiz show <laughs> the other day. That we've and, done our research. And, um, the other the other look, the other thought you. that uh, uh, came to mind when when hearing about Crash's heart is just because. It's a tale told to me by a colleague of mine in the last couple of days, which is something I'd genuinely not heard of and is one of those moments when you think about that that perhaps we are all doomed. Um, and it, 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 was, I was, it was called to mind by your recollection of tales of being hit on the head by a light aircraft. Um, a friend of mine was telling me about a recent holiday he had in Italy where he had a headshot. And when I asked what a headshot was, uh, because my only connection with the phrase comes from, you know, first-person shooter video games. It's a a drink, apparently, in which the first thing you do is you put on some sort of helmet, and then you're given a shot of something with a large fraction of alcohol in it, which you then down, and then the bartender hits you on the head with a baseball bat. Uh, Why would you do that? That is a very good question and one that he couldn't answer. I'm told that the reason you do it is because you watch a friend of yours do it who then assures you that it's kind of fun and it doesn't really hurt. And then that's all part of the joke, of course, because you try it and apparently it hurts like fuck and you need to go and have a lie down and possibly a couple of aspirin. But this is a thing people pay for and and civilization isn't doomed. Try and hold those thoughts in your head simultaneously.
Thank you to Matthew Moyle-Croft for uh, Newton Crashes Hard. Uh, let's go into the next set of words. On now to the uh, first of the randomly selected uh, trigger words. We only have five trigger words there for this episode, so we'll draw them out as a batch of three and then a batch of two. So, the batch of three. First one. And uh, as you'll see, compared to the last video, I've actually done this so you can see me unfold it properly. First one, Errol Cavett with fire. Fire. This next one, Crispin Harris with flapper. And finally, Rick Heyman with progressive. So we have there fire, flapper, and progressive. And I understand uh, Crispin Harris uh, wants the word flapper. Uh, in the meaning of uh, those progressive young women of the 1920s, uh, I don't know how I can fit fire into this. I'm still working on this. Uh, oh, I know. This doesn't really fit the words. Um, the Old Fashioned is is one of my uh, favourite cocktails. Uh, it's an American uh, cocktail. It is Old Fashioned because it is one of the earliest cocktails in existence. It is from New York, I believe. Uh, the Old Fashioned is, is essentially rye whiskey, uh, with a little bit of, I know you put orange peel. I don't, I don't know. I, I pay people to work out these details for me. Uh, but uh, if you would like a variation on the old fashioned, take uh, an old fashioned recipe, but substitute the rye whiskey with fireball whiskey, which is flavoured with cinnamon. And add a cinnamon stick as as your garnish. Uh, what this has to do with flappers, I'm not entirely sure, but I do know that uh, flappers uh, did uh, drink a lot of champagne uh, and uh, Miss Thingo's Murder Mysteries, uh, which was an ABC television production, was set in that kind of era. So it was those really quite progressive and independent young women uh, who did drink cocktails and did drink champagne uh, and you should garnish them with with a cinnamon stick. And then get someone to hit you over the head with a baseball bat. Absolutely. Flappers bring, t to me, instantly call to mind the Charleston. And the Charleston is fascinating to me because it's it's the dance equivalent of all of those songs of which you know the first line but none of the rest of the words. Like there's like so John Farnham. <laughs> so John Farnham is effectively to understand it precisely. The Charleston person, um, because yeah, I have a mental image of the Charleston, of course, and it has this movement which has the arms the crooked at the elbows and in front with the hands raised, and 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 an odd sort of movement of the lower legs, principally the lower legs, and that's it. Like that, that essentially is my image of the 1920s is women in those darling little hats and those straight dresses, which went straight down from shoulders to, to knee, doing that movement. And and it's it's sad that I have reduced an entire decade to that, really, but there you are. 
I wasn't. But I, I think that's what we need to do because we have reduced the entire decade of the 1970s to flared jeans, tie-dye, T-shirts and uh, moustaches. And moustaches, lots, mist- lots of unfortunate facial hair. Well, just too much hair generally. What I find interesting too about uh, the flapper period and then going then into the early 1930s is that we see very little acknowledgement of the role of cocaine in this era. And one of the the more suppressed images of this is in the film Cabaret, the, the Liza Minnelli film, which is set in Berlin um, shortly before World War II. But, you know, in the I think it's set in the early 30s as uh, the Nazis are slowly uh, coming to power. And, of course, they are in uh, the nightclub scene and, and the Berlin Cabaret scene, uh, which, uh, as Peter Cook the great comedian once noticed was so effective in stopping the rise of, of the Nazis, um, proving, therefore, the uh, the power of satire. Um, but there is a scene that I have seen in a cut of the film where as uh, the protagonists leave the nightclub one night, they do a bunch of cocaine. And it's a very small scene, uh, but it it's clear and yet it doesn't exist in any of the cuts I've seen since, the the drug use has been cut out so that it can retain presumably the rest of its uh, uh, the rest of its uh, content classification. Nazism, the rise of Nazism, is fine to depict, but recreational drug use is not. The world is a hell. It is. It's very strange. Elephant stamp time! Elephant stamp time! Each episode of this podcast, brackets when I remember in brackets, we award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking. And I'm going to power through these because I've actually got four of them and Nicholas has none of them. Uh, uh, So let's have a quick look. The first one uh, is for... Uh, the person on Twitter known as Aliens Exist 15, because in response to someone's tweets about the moon landings, which which happened, as you know, some time ago, Aliens Exist 15 said, there's a lot of sketchy stuff involving the moon landings. We do need to go back. There's zero reason it should take 50 years to make it happen again. Makes us conspiracy think something was up there. And if you don't think there's any sketchy stuff about the moon landing, then you haven't fully done your research. So who was Aliens Exist 15 responding to? Buzz Aldrin. Elephant stamp of approval uh, two, Aliens Exist 15. Number two goes to, uh, as a group, the Hawaiian monk seals. Why? Listen to this report from Tomo News. Hawaiian monk seals have an eel in the nose problem. An endangered Hawaiian monk seal was spotted chilling on a sandy white beach with a spotted eel stuck in its nose and researchers have no idea how it got there. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Hawaiian Monk Seal Research Program posted the photo on Facebook last week. According to the Washington Post, the shot was taken this year in the northwestern Hawaiian Islands, but scientists are baffled as to why. According to the NOAA, they've only seen this happen a few times since 2016. All the little fellows were caught and released after the eels were removed. 
Researchers have only come up with two guesses as to why this happens. Hawaiian monk seals look for food by jamming their mouth and nose into cracks of coral reefs, under rocks, or into the sand. Maybe the eel had nowhere else to go. Another hypothesis is that the seal, which often throws up food, was vomiting when an eel came out the wrong hole. Yummy. While researchers continue scratching their heads, the endangered Hawaiian monk seals can rest easy because the NOAA now has guidelines for yanking eels out safely. If you ever need to yank an eel out safely from the nose of a Hawaiian monk seal, which admittedly uh, is something I have to face most days uh, here in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney, the process is light restraint of the seal and a slow, steady pull to get the eel out. The whole process takes 30 seconds, although the eel itself does not survive. So, elephant stamps of approval to every Hawaiian monk seal with an eel in its nose. Uh, do you face this problem often? Nicholas? I haven't come across it lately. Um, I'm trying to. I don't think I've ever actually seen an eel. Uh, I've oh. met a seal. Uh, very graceful creatures in their element, but on land, rather like me in the ocean. Yes. Uh yeah, it's it's a bit of a trade off. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm just deeply suspicious about that entire report. They've got a bunch of researchers who say, you know, when asked why has this seal got a an eel up its nose, just standing around there whistling with their hands in their pockets, say, no idea. Um, Charlie, you know anyone? That's actually not a bad point because it, this phenomenon of seals with eels in their noses has only cropped up in the last few years. So While they've I'm, been I'm sort of wondering, And they say they've seen it a few times since <laughs> yeah. 2016. And, and, like, we don't all know that this is just what happens after those Friday evening parties. Just just eel nosing is, is clearly an activity <laughs> that's getting out of hand. Let's <laughs> whack it being whacked over the head with Is it, it eel nosing or nose I eeling? I don't know. What the, the, you're looking for the verb. I don't know. Let's move on. The third uh, uh, elephant stamp goes to Wayne Kenneth Glue, G-L-E-W, from Geraldton in Western Australia. There has been a long-running dispute uh, between Mr. Glue and his local council in Geraldton. Uh, the council believes he owes $300,000 in rates and legal costs. Um Mr. Glue has refused to pay them because he believes local governments are unconstitutional and uh, as a sovereign citizen, he believes Australian laws don't apply if you don't consent to them. Yes, we have sovereign citizens in Western Australia. So what uh, happened this week is the local council got the, the relevant court orders and seized his entire property. Uh, the uh, the city of Greater Geraldton's mayor, Shane Van Stin, uh, said his actions uh, Mr. Glue's actions, that is, were an injustice to those doing the right thing. Quote, he has some crazy misconception that the laws do not apply to him, and regrettably, we have been forced to take action to seize his property. 
to cover the costs that rightfully belong to the ratepayers of Greater Geraldton. And the bit I love about this, apart from the fact that uh, in 2014, Mr Glue was declared a vexatious litigant by the Supreme Court of Western Australia, who clearly uh, run out of patience with his position, uh, which the court described as nonsensical and incoherent. Uh, the thing that really is the icing on the cake for me is Mr Glue is a former police officer. Full of confidence. The wonderful thing, for those of us who work in, in, in matters touching on the law, we'll know that... If judges are anything, it is it is always restrained in their use of language. One can beg and plead a judge to make a, an adverse finding against someone, and, and um, when when you do finally convince them of it, it will be couched in the most uh, value neutral terms possible, and with the the lack of hyper the minimum possible hyperbole. Um, Nonsensical. Yes, uh, to, to be called nonsensical and incoherent, it, it means you finally have just pissed off the judge beyond beyond professional bearing, and and he's he or she has decided that's it. I can't. I'm just get get this idiot out of here. To Wayne Kenneth Glue from Geraldton, an elephant stamp. And my final one is uh, to Pete Evans, who apparently is a chef, uh, but he has vast quantities of medical advice. Uh, judging from the screenshot, this was perhaps from Facebook. It certainly isn't from Twitter, and I don't do Facebook. But Chef Peter Evans says, every day I love to immerse myself in an experience within the cleansing ocean water as well as a brief gaze into the radiant light of the early rising or late setting sun. These simple yet powerful practices have got to be two of the best forms of free medicine on the planet for body mind and spirit, hashtag sungazing. Did you see Peter Doherty's response? Peter Doherty, Nobel Prize winning Australian physicist. Take, take, it from, take it from an expert, mate. Don't look at the sun. <laughs> well, uh, in, in the comments to, to Pete Evans' post, uh, Jack in Tamaree 62 says, Amen, brother, me too. Uh, me, hang on, I've got to bring this closer to my face. Milf, Milfay 6 says, Smart, intelligent, and nice. Uh, and, and there's general uh, approval uh, all around uh, for people who think uh, that that, yes, Pete Evans' advice to steer into the sun is good. I will see that on Twitter the Australian Medical Association <laughs> did, did come out again and said, look, we're kind of, and I'll paraphrase them, but they said, look, we're kind of sick of saying this, but don't steer into the I sun. I like the comment which appears on that on that screen grab from Keto Foods, who, who, like many of us, received the clearly received the somewhat confusing advice that one should never look at a sol directly at a solar eclipse. But unlike most of us, uh, failed to work out later on that actually just meant don't look at the sun <laughs> and, and the fact that there's an eclipse yes. going on doesn't make it safer. <laughs> it's hanging on there to the idea that the eclipse is bad, but the sun itself will be right. Yeah. You'll be fine, and, and 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 I I appreciate the fact that uh, <laughs> President Donald Trump did stare into the eclipse from from the the balcony of the White House, proving once and for all that there's nothing wrong with him. Uh, Nicholas, have I ever told you about my prostate? Um, yeah, I am now. 
staring at the door, wondering if I can edge quietly out of the room. No, I don't think so. In Well, if you look at the running sheet of the podcast, and this will be up on the podcast website, you can see um, some imagery of my prostate, a picture nonetheless of when the other day we went all kind of hunt for Red October on <laughs> on my prostate. I'm... <laughs> Look, I'm always encouraged by this sort of level of openness, particularly in the male of the species. We're often criticised for not sharing. Uh, yes, I can see that still. Uh, I, what what does one say? Attractive prostate? Well, I don't know. I mean, as one can say, its volume is 52 cubic centimetres. <laughs> and and here I'm, you know, going to have to defer to the experts. Is that good? it's not bad. It, it's nothing to be concerned about or so I am informed so far. And uh, when I looked at a diagram of a rectal examination, uh, a rectal digital examination, I should say, um, the prostate turns out to be in its sort of neutral state significantly larger than I had imagined. I th- thought the thing was about the size of a, you know, a chickpea or something like, but it's actually the size of a walnut, and uh, apparently some pretty big fucking walnut. Well, yeah. We talk, so, so I was going to golf ball as my next standard, but you're talking that sort of order of magnitude, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, the concern was. I mean, you you mentioned earlier that you know we, we're all becoming older. Well, I I am a bit older than you. Well, significantly older than you. And and when a, a gentleman reaches a certain age, things happen. So, for example, uh, and you still have this to look forward to, but if you're about to turn 50, the Australian government actually sends you a box full of stuff so that you can take a poo sample and mail it back. Oh, I'm way ahead of you. No, I'm there. That's becoming a bit of a family uh, treat at the moment because we're... Well, it happens every five years, I think until you're 65. Yeah. I can't remember when they cut it off, and, and there's, a, there's a point at which they don't bother anymore because they figure, yeah, if you have bowel cancer, you get, you, you're going to die of something else before then anyway, so we're not going you know, to waste taxpayers' money on uh, collecting your Yeah, poo. a piece of my childhood uh, did die when, when playing poo sticks no longer meant throwing things in a river from a bridge and meant taking a sample in the privacy of one's own bathroom. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you know, you're heterosexual, so wait till you become, you know, you, you have no idea what, what medical procedures require you to do in the privacy of your own bathroom or the clinic's bathroom. Uh, but moving on from that, uh, apart from your happy hello, hello, happy birthday from the Australian government, can we have your poo? Uh, also, my my GP, my doctor, who I've had uh, as my GP for well over 20 years, uh, when I turned 50, my GP just chatted through some things and said, hello, happy birthday, and now our, our relationship changes as he reached for his rubber gloves. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which is beautiful work. Anyway, the reason I, I mention this, and I think it's important, as you say, uh, blokes are not very good at getting things checked out. And as a gentleman gets older, let's just say that one's one's stream becomes less confident in the bathroom, and and by and large, that's generally nothing to worry about. But it's good uh, to have the conversation with your GP um, once you you notice it happening to make sure that 
it, it's not the, the much smaller um, um, number of uh, instances where this is something to worry about. Uh, and I did chat to my GP and we uh, kind of talked through uh, the details of what's happening. And, and yes, you do need to kind of build up a relationship with your GP and a certain confidence that you can talk about this stuff. Uh, but that's what your GP is for, right? And, um, you know, he chatted and and we talked about things and then we got on to talking about um, oh, just some some other matters and talking about what was in the news, and then he just casually said, "Anyway, uh, now it's time for me to stick my finger up your bum." <laughs> and I thought, yeah, well, I was expecting this, and and he seemed to think it was happy, but we 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 did some things. I was due to do some routine blood tests anyway, so we added what's called a PSA test for 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 cancers onto that uh but i was also referred to um to get some sonography done some ultrasound of my um of my urinary tract of my golf well actually you do the full kit all the way from from um from kidneys down to um, to wherever it finishes to go we don't need to go into the details (laughs) people are eating yeah, although, uh, as as I said, you know, it's, ultrasound is, when you're watching it on screen, it is very hunt for Red October. Uh, but as uh, as I noted on Twitter, we didn't actually scan down as far as my Sean Connor is. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, you have to uh, – it, it's called a, a urinary tract uh, scan brackets pre-slash-post-void. Uh, so you end up having a uh, a lovely conversation in in this case with a young uh, female trainee sonographer uh, about you know, who who cheerily says so how's your bladder going uh, <laughs> which, which is gorgeous uh, because they tell you that uh, ninety minutes before you you're due in uh, you should have uh, you should go to the bathroom and then drink at least 600 ml of water. You can tell that that was once a pint. Uh, but if you do it on a hot day, which uh, was in my case, that's not anywhere near enough. So you end up chatting while you're drinking vast quantities of water, and she says, okay, I'll be back in 10 minutes while she does some paperwork. Um, but all appears to be good, and that's lovely, but it did remind me of – the joys of medical procedures, I, I, and and the joys of nurses. Nurses have a great sense of humour. Uh, once uh, after um, having heart palpitations, after having Red Bull, kids do not drink that shit. Uh, if you turn up at a hospital and say heart palpitations, you suddenly get an extremely high level of service, and rightly so. Uh, but once you've established that it's heart palpitations and Red Bull, they suddenly lose a lot of interest in it. But the thing about when you mention heart, apparently if heart tissue is damaged, as opposed to any other kind of tissue, a very specific enzyme is released. So what they do is if you say heart, then a blood test is taken uh, to look for that enzyme, and then you have to hang about for eight hours until they do it again. And magically, uh, of course, I did this on a Saturday evening, and Saturday evenings in an accident and emergency ward is is fun. Uh, but as my hang around for eight hours began, and I, you know, cathetered up to you know all of the stuff, uh, the nurse just opened the curtains and said, "Enjoy the carnival." <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was lovely. And then, and then more recently in the same blood tests I mentioned um, just having recently, a relatively uh, new nurse uh, 
didn't quite manage to find the vein uh, cleanly and uh, she called, which was fantastic when you're having bloods taken. It's a bit of a, a stab and a miss. Uh, but she said, I'll, I'll go and get, you know, the senior nurse, and she came in, and I'd seen her before. And they were chatting away, and they found a vein on the other arm. And then the senior nurse says, do you want to have a go? And, and I just said, excuse me, this isn't very reassuring. And the senior nurse said, shush you, this doesn't I've got to learn on someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this doesn't concern, this is about your arm. It's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> which which I love. I, I It's – but that – that frankness is wonderful. There is something so remarkable about can, nurses, and they are, they are genuine. You know, yes. The most down-to-earth people I know. I, I'm not sure I could bear to be married to one because you would get you know, d- completely honest and frank appraisals of all of your character <laughs> traits that don't need dragging out and being yes. shot in public. But they are, yeah, very, very wonderful people. Professionally speaking, they're marvellous. And work hard and, and manage to – work out very quickly, is this a person I can have a joke about stabbing them in front of or do I need to kind of play this <laughs> a little more caring and sharing, which is wonderful. Uh, look, Nicholas, do you have a favourite medical procedure? It's hard to pinpoint a favourite medical procedure. I've, I've got one which, I've, which I too, for, for family reasons and family historical reasons, uh, possibly have come to this slightly younger than than many people, but I have a fairly regular colonoscopy, and and that I've always found to be one of the most disappointing experiences of my life for a number of reasons. See, well, that's because you well, possibly so. I'm just not getting everything out of it I could. But the 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 the, the fact, first of all. Whatever the doctors are called who do that sort of thing, is it proctologists? They all have the most appalling limp hand- handshakes, which is the sort of stereotype you don't necessarily want. <laughs> really, that's 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 even worse <laughs> no, than what I do. Well, no, they just they they just sort of genuinely wet people who don't meet your eye. Which you know, when you th- if you think about someone who's going to spend his professional life staring at your jacksy, trying to find out if your bowels about to fall to pieces, you 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 kind of hope that they're going to give you a you know a firm welcome and. And put it all on a fairly professional basis. Well, hello, right. Nicholas. Yes. I'm about to shove a probe yes. up your ass. Are you fine yeah, absolutely with that? Fine, and we're all doing this, and we're all comfortable together doing this. Not that there's something slightly embarrassing about it, because I already know there's something slightly embarrassing about this. I want you to be the professional about this. Anyway, the point that the procedure itself is is rather disappointing for for two reasons. One of them is they give you some lovely drugs. But they are drugs which more or less, just as they're starting to kick in, make you feel absolutely gorgeous, you lose consciousness and the very next thing you know is three hours later and you're lying in recovery and you've got no memory at all of anything. Wait, hello. Wait, wait, what? You get a general? Well, you get this, they don't call it a general. The, 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 last, the, the first bloke who shoved it up my arm uh, called it the milk of amnesia uh, because I get the impression it doesn't actually rob you entirely of consciousness but it certainly robs you of any memory of the experience so basically i think it probably just heavily sedates you and you you're out but you're you sounds like pliant. right yeah somewhat pliant that's right this is this it's is a, a it's, 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 just, it's not a it's not a medical procedure it's an invasive social interaction yeah um but and then and then you get at the end and 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 the same chap, <laughs> and the same chap who quite lucky in the eye in the first place and has now looked you in the other eye um Tells you that, so you know, it's all fine. I've had a look, and there's, you know, 
on a scale of one to five, you're at about a 0.5 and it's fine. We don't have to do this any more frequently than every five years. So put that in data right now, Sam. We'll see you then. Um, but I, you never get to see the video, you know? It's like he's He's been shoving thousands of dollars worth of fiber optics up your backside and, and having a poke around. And you've been through a bit to get to that point. You know, you fasted for 24 hours and you've taken all that horrible stuff that cleans out your bowel and you've sat, you know, and not had anything more exciting than, you know, barley water for 24 hours to make sure that everything's absolutely clear. Barley you get, you get, you know. Are you kind of 97,000 yes. years old? Yes, some days. Anyway, you're, just, you're, just, you're allowed water. to drink, like, basically glucose in, in water and nothing else because anything else will leave stuff in your bowel, which is a professional hazard for proctologists. It's called a low residue That's right. diet. And it's boring. And by the time you've done it for 24 hours, you kind of think you deserve a bit more. I mean, you've got photos. You have, no pun intended. Yes, I have of actual I've got photographs nothing. of my prostate, of my bladder in various stages of inflation. I get sedated and, 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 and mechanically sodomized by a bloke, and I don't even get a photograph out of it. It's not good, honestly. Pro- colonoscopy, overrated. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is made possible. Yeah, yeah, this is the scrounge bit, but, you know, listen, because these people support me. This podcast is made possible by you, the generous listeners, through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. And it's time now to credit a bunch of people who've been part of the last few months and who haven't been credited so far. So for a start, there's a whole lot of uh, people who contributed a slightly less basic tip. Liz Darville, Garth Kidd, Kimberly Heitman, Matthew McBride, Tim Hamilton, Adam Fitzpatrick, Peter McCrudden, Ridwin, Michael Rao, uh, John Lindsay, Ben Moretti, David Heath, Peter Blakely, AJ Hocking, Tim Bell, K.O. Hall, uh, Michael Keating and Daniel O'Connor, thank you. Uh, people who did buy one trigger word but chose just to let it ride JT Deschaneur, Ruben Shard, uh, Drew Mayo, Wade Baumer, and Melissa Madsen, also Mick Fong in there, and a, a long time contributor who bought three trigger words and never replied to fucking emails, Ben O'Rice. And I must say thank you to 11 very generous people who chose no reward at all, no recognition. They just want this podcast to happen. I really don't know what's wrong with them. If you want this podcast to continue in 2019 or just want to say, hey, Stilgarian, it's Christmas. We love you. Have something. Go to stilgarian.com slash tip. That's stilgarian.com slash tip. Chuck in a couple of dollars, plenty of dollars, mega loads of dollars, a fuck ton of dollars. It doesn't matter. Um, and and I will love you a long time. Uh, looking ahead into the new year, uh, I will get subscriptions back up and happening. And in January, at least, I will do kind of a best of series going back to uh, really old episodes to dig out some of the fun bits uh, and a few other bits and pieces too, which I'm not going to tell you about. But right now, go to stillgarian.com slash tip.
And now the uh, final two of the uh, trigger words. Yip David with privacy, ownership of. Does that count as a word? Look, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll do that because it's, um, it's okay. Uh, and last one. David King with G'day. <laughs> so we have privacy and G'day. Privacy and G'day. Well, I've already spoken about uh, G'day, mate, gate a bit at the front of the podcast. Uh, but, Nicholas, do you have any thoughts? Uh, I haven't asked you about the uh, the wonders of G'day, mate. No, you haven't, for which I was grateful right up until just now. Um, it's just, it's, it's, there's nothing attractive to think about this, really. There's nothing attractive about public sexual hypocrisy. There's nothing attractive about Andrew Broad. And, and I'm starting to wonder, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? I mean, I'm possibly the only person in Australia who hasn't been shagged by a National Party MP and Oh, no, no, I, um, hang on, uh, current ones. <laughs> well, that's, again, that's the advantage of age, isn't it? You've got, you've got a broader field to choose from. I've only, look, I've, I've, I've exchanged kisses with two senators, but none, neither of them were from the National Party. Well, I don't think that counts. Did either of them lose their job over it, though? I mean, no, you know, what? I mean, they should have. I was, mean, it good, was it good for I anyone? Mean, it, it, I mean, none of them were. You know, it wasn't like a snog or anything. It's just, you know, a friendly peck as one greets, and and you know, there there are women of a certain demographic where that's that's considered the normal um, way of greeting a, a another person, uh, and if you know, your French. Gender is irrelevant. Yes, indeed. So you haven't been French kissing any politicians, but you have been kissing French politicians? Well, hang on. There's, <laughs> there's an ambiguity <laughs> about French kissing here. I'm getting confused. There? Have, has, have, has, has any National Party politician uh, paid for a dinner date with you? Have you ever hooked up with a National Party politician using an online dating site? Um, I'm reasonably confident that I can say no to both of those questions. I'm betting from those photographs we've just looked at that you're not pregnant by any of them, any of them. So, no, I think we are missing out. There was no sign of a fetus anywhere near or even in the the broad vicinity of my prostate. If there had been, we would have had to look at your diet. (laughs) Amongst other things, yes. Um, Look, I I will say that on this whole – uh, privacy and sex lives things. Mark Newton, uh, the aforementioned pilot and uh, thus thus and such, uh, had an excellent take the other day. He said, I don't give a crap about MPs' sex lives unless and until they campaign on sanctity and marriage holier than thou family values. And once they do that, I'm so totally here for their self-induced public humiliation. Bring it on, all you dead shit MPs who have campaigned on family morality, you're fair game. We are extremely here to ruin your pointless lives. Everyone else, 
breathe a sigh of relief. No one cares. You're safe. Just do it on your own dime and have fun. It's true, isn't it? It's the lying and which I is think the issue. It's the it's the fact that that his entire public persona and political presentation is a lie. I think there's a grand tradition in Australia, and and you find this even um, touring around regional Australia, and people say, "Oh, regional Australians are very conservative, and they won't like gay marriage, and blah blah blah, this, that, and the other." You actually talk to people, and you find they don't give a shit, right? Like, as long as you're not frightening the horses, we don't Matter care what you, you do. And your wife, yeah, or you know. Any any other consenting human being or whatever it might be, um, but it's the deception, it's it's the lies, and as you say, the hypocrisy. So thank you to Yupdewit uh, and uh, David King for triggering that last thought brackets, which I stole from Mark Newton in brackets. Uh, we've gone on for a while now. Twenty eighteen has gone on for a while now. Nicholas, do you have any parting um, words to end this year of wonder? Deeply. Deeply sorry. <laughs> and I will just add something from Twitter handle Wife Banger, which is remarkably apt just now. Uh, Diana Thurst stunt double is, is their explanation. Centrists are conservatives who expect a thank you card. Thank, thank you, you Nicholas. Going. Have fun, everyone. Well, that's the edict for now, and that's the edict for 2018, I reckon, unless something remarkable happens. Um, uh, please go to sulgarian.com slash tip. Throw something into the tip jar. Um, the next episode will be, I reckon, in the first week of January, the best of series. But until then, I'm Stulgarian. Have a good one and a great new year. The 9pm edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.